Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. <clears throat> we'll continue the introduction to Sri Jiva Goswami's Krishna Sandarbha. We covered the first portion of the introduction in the last discussion, basically giving an outline of what's to be expected through our study of the Krishna Sandarbha, specifically addressing different questions about the nature of the Supreme Personality of Godhead and how as Gaudiya Vaishnavas, we look at Krishna as the supreme manifestation. Uh, this viewpoint is not held in common by all Vaishnavas, so it is a, a bit unique, and we discussed a little bit of the uniqueness of it, in that it's uh, Krishna can appear to be quite an enigma. Uh, we won't review those topics again, but we will continue, and what a lot of what we're going to discuss this evening, as I said, is an introduction to the book and is setting a groundwork for us as students as to what to expect from the study. In preparing notes for this evening's discussion, it became quite apparent that a lot of what what's presented in the introduction has become, for the most part, common knowledge to ourselves in this particular Sangha, irrespective of that advantage that we have uh, from listening to uh, Swami Tripurari for some considerable time, still I feel it appropriate to properly go through the points, and although you're all familiar with them, or at least the majority of them still, there may be some other listeners at some point in time. So. I'm just going to kind of go through them with that uh, hope in mind. <laughs> the second division of the book, the first division of the book, Krishna Sandarbha, deals basically with just putting forth Krishna as Swayam Bhagavan, as the supreme manifestation of Bhagavan, as the original manifestation of Bhagavan, as embodying everything in, in totality and as the source of all other manifestations of the Supreme. And this is a unique understanding which is embraced by the Gaudiya Vaishnavas. Um, so the second division of the book, which we're going to be studying, the Krishna Sandarbha, is going to delineate the constitutional fac facets of Swayam Bhagavan. What's he made of? <laughs> What's his nature? So that discussion is going to begin with a presentation of an understanding of the Mula Chatra Vyuha, uh, Vasudev Sankarchan, Pradumna and Aniruddha, how they're to be viewed and how they together constitute uh, the Lord and his most essential nature, how that plays out in Vaikuntha, how it plays out in the Leela of the Lord. And it's also interesting to note that this Chaturvyuha, Vasudev, Sankarchan, Pradyumna, and Aniruddha, of course in the Leela we see Krishna, Balaram, uh, Pradyumna, and Aniruddha, Pradyumna being Krishna's son, and Aniruddha being his grandson, 
And in the material realm, we see the same chart or vyuha having some, some significance in the Purusha avatars. So we have these three manifestations of the Paramatma feature of the Supreme, Karna Dakshai Vishnu, Garbha Dakshai Vishnu, and Kashira Dakshai Vishnu. So what you see there is the manifestation of Sankarshan, Prajumna, and Aniruddha. So the Vasudev feature is not so much present in the material uh, interaction of the Paramatma feature of the Supreme Lord in the creation, Sarga, Visarga, the, the, the first creation, the second creation, and the uh, the Antaryami, the, the indwelling super soul in every living entity. So material manifestation. Only the last three members of the Chaturvyuha are present as the underlying ground of being manifests as the three forms of the immanent self, Paramatma. Karna, Garbha Dakshai, and Kashir Dakshai Vishnu. Uh, also, uh, Jiva Goswami is going to point out that Balaram, Krishna's first expansion, is also, it does not fall into the category of, a, of an avatar. He's a direct manifestation of the Supreme. So some may see Balaram as simply a manifestation of the, the Sankarshan uh, feature of the Chaturvyuha or of, as, a, as a manifestation of Sesha Nag. Some have a different viewpoint when it comes to Prajumna and Aniruddha. So all these uh, conceptions that are there and drawn from the scriptures by other lineages or other, other spiritual trends of thought Srila Jiva Goswami is going to deal with all those and put them in their place according to the perspective of the Gaudiya Vaishnavas. Now for us, Jiva Goswami is the greatest logician and, and, the, and the Bhagavatam is the topmost scripture and the way he draws the knowledge of the nature of the Supreme from the Bhagavat Purana, we accept that as topmost, but we're in a league of our own, <laughs> so to speak. And as I explained in the last discussion, this is, this from our perspective may seem somewhat foreign, somewhat abstract. What do you mean? Krishna is not God. What do you mean Krishna is not the topmost manifestation of the Supreme? But understand, there's other viewpoints here. To us, there's no question. We're, we're locked in. We're locked in by good fortune. Good fortune coming, coming because of the uh, uh, merciful dispensation of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and ourselves somehow or other by some Yadrichaya coming in contact with this Gaudiya Vaishnav conception. Now we should remain open-minded, but I think if you talk to all the open-minded sadhus that you know, they also hold this viewpoint. But we're always open. That's that's one of the characteristics of 
of the fine discrimination that devotees develop is we will, of course, listen to another's opinion. And we will, we will open-heartedly, if the discussion is vada, if the, if the discussion, Jiva Goswami explains there's different ways to discuss things. And one of them, of course, is that discussion wherein somebody wants to have the, recognize and realize and accept the topmost conception of the supreme absolute truth of the Supreme Godhead. So we're always open to those discussions and let us have them and let us, we have our viewpoint, but we're open, convince us we're wrong and we'll listen. We have a whole group of really, really advanced devotees standing behind the ideas that we hold at this time. So you may have a hard time moving us but still, that's Vada discussion, and that's open, and that's good for our spiritual life, as pointed out by Jiva Goswami, that, uh, you know, we, we, need to, we need to have that kind of approach to our spirituality. This is not, you know, although we're in the cult of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, you know, it's it's not it's not a closed cult. We're not religious fanatics. We're not uh, guru fanatics. Although we we follow our guru fanatically, it may seem we're we don't become so wrapped up that we see our spiritual master in a light separate from what the the proper understanding of guru is and the guru is he's krishna he's the representative of krishna and we see him in the proper light of understanding guru sadhu and shastra and we understand at certain times he may say things that even contradict the goswamis and we may say wait a minute well in the beginning we don't say wait a minute we say great that's the way it should be understood but we also be have to be open and 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 clear-minded enough and have discrimination enough to recognize when he's saying something in a preaching environment that may require him to say something that is in contradiction to shastra in contradiction to other sadhus but we should be able to discriminate between such circumstantial preaching and the siddhanta of the parampara that he represents. So it's an important point. It's a fine point. It's a point that matures over time. In the beginning, whatever the father and mother say is accepted without question. But a good father and mother is eventually going to take the child to a point where the child can make choices of his own. And that's, that's where the, the parents want to teach the child how to think, hopefully, not what to think. 
And we can see sometimes the parents may say, well, try to teach their child what to think. Yeah, that's going to work up to about 11 or 12, and then that's not going to go anymore. <laughs> of course, being open and courteous to hear any spiritual seeker, what's your point of view? I'm specifically speaking of in the community of Vaishnavs. They may have a different conception. Some can accept uh, Lakshmi Narayan as the supreme manifestation, Sita Ram. Uh, some only go so far as the, as the conception of Paramatma. <clears throat> so we're open to hear, and then we're also open to discuss that and say, well, you might want to consider this. You know, yeah. um, so Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya is really from a different school altogether. And Sri Chaitanya, of course, was courteous to him. But uh, that curiosity, you know, that courtesy was uh, was up to a point. And at a certain point, he wanted to say, well, do you understand Vedanta? He said, yeah, I understand Vedanta, but from the way you've explained things to me, I don't know if you do. <laughs> uh, so let me tell you, well, how do you understand? Then Sarvabhuma, the teacher, became the student. Oh, well, what do you, what do you think of Vedanta Sutra? What do you think? What is your commentary? Well, my commentary is so, a little different circumstance. Uh, but also, uh, Jeeva, just to round out that point, Srila Jiva Goswami also makes the point that there is other types of discussion. Sometimes you will be in a discussion and the only objective of someone else in the discussion is to win at all cost. So he'll employ straw man arguments, he'll, he'll employ all kinds of, of word jugglery and tricks and... Uh, He'll he'll attack uh, at Hanuman. He'll he'll attack your character and not your argument. Well, I lose. I have the worst character. Okay, I surrender there. But if is that really what we're talking about? You're going to say I don't know anything because I came from America, and I was born in a in a, a Malecha family, and I and I grew up as a meat eater, so I can't understand Vedanta, so I can't understand the the message of the Bhagavatam after 50 years of study, I'm disqualified because of my birth. So that's that's to win at all costs. I'll say anything. Or I'll, I'll put words in your mouth, a straw man argument. Well, actually, you're saying this. No, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is what I'm saying. Why don't you just accept what I'm saying for what? It, so there's all kinds of arguments. And there's different types of discussion. And... Uh, but vada discussion means we seek the truth. So again, back to a little bit of what we had discussed, how uh, Swami Tripurari presented that class at the Buddhist uh, center. You know, an, uh, open, an op creating an opening for everyone's spiritual, spiritual enlightenment. So to see the the uh, the common characteristics of the quote quote sadhus, other traditions may not call them sadhus, they may call them mystics, they may call them grandmasters, they may call them, you know, saints, whatever the they have a common characteristic of character. 
And that common characteristic of character is something that we can all latch onto and say, well, that's something significant because they've risen above the, you know, the the uh, animalistic tendencies of the majority of humanity. So they uh, they must have a common a, a common characteristic in their spiritual pursuit that is commendable. So what's common to all of them? So that's kind of what I'm discussing. All right, so Balaram is also not an avatar of Vishnu. He's a direct expansion of Krishna. Uh, Krishna includes all avatars. And then we're just going to go through these different points that Jiva's going to make in this discussion this evening. So uh, let's talk about, he's going to, he's going to talk about uh, Swayam Bhagavan's form. Uh, Sri Jiva demonstrates, however, that Krishna's body is not only on par with the four-handed forms of Narayan and Vishnu, but transcends them altogether, even though human-like. This is an interesting point, because a lot of spiritualists, a lot of transcendentalists would say, God is God, and this, this manifestation of Vishnu, that's God. He's got four arms, he's huge, he's... You know, they may have a certain conception when the thought of God comes to them. The first, remember, that's one of the characteristics of, of, uh, of thought is, is a word, a word's significance. One of the significances of any word is what's the thir- first thing that pops in your mind? So that's one of the things. So when you say God, what's the first thing that pops in your mind? Well, the first thing that pops into a Vaishnava, you know, a Gaudiya Vaishnava's mind is a, is a little blue boy with a flute who's looking at all the girls with the, you know, a, you know, batting his eyelashes and his, uh, you know, his brow. So that's the first thing that comes to mind. Others people, you may say God, and they may they may think of Vishnu lying on the ocean of milk, on on the bed of Seshanag with the with a lotus coming and Brahma sitting, that may be the first thing that pops into their mind. So it's not necessarily wrong for them, but in this book, Krishna Sandarbha, Jiva Goswami is going to bring out Swayam Bhagavan, Krishna in Vraj, is the absolute supreme personality of Godhead. Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam, or as we're familiar, Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. What about Krishna's abode? He's going to go on to Krishna's abodes. They're a direct manifestation of Krishna's intrinsic potency, as Swarup Shakti, and they're non-different from him. Krishna, Krishna's abode, according, as presented, in this book and in this Bhagavatam is is Mahavaikuntha. It's above even the plane of the Vaikuntha planets. And it has three divisions, Vrindavan, Mathura, and Dwarka. And of those three divisions, Galoka, Vrindavan, Galok, is the, is the most dear to Krishna. And there is no difference whatsoever between the manifestation of those abodes in the transcendental realm 
and in the material realm. No difference. Those abodes have three types of existence. Those abodes are either existing in a manifest way in the world. That's called Boma. Those abodes exist on the earthly, on the in the material realm, just as they do in the spiritual realm. And they also exist in the transcendental realm. So in the transcendental realm, they're referred to as aprakat. And in the material realm, they're referred to as prakat. The aprakat and the prakat are populated with lila. Now, there's also another manifestation of the earthly realm where the Leela that's manifest once in a day of Brahma, which we call the Prakat Leela, in other words, we can tune into it and watch it if we're there at the, at the right time, once in that day of Brahma, if we're around, we get to see the show, or we can see it through the eyes of those that were there, or we can see it through the eyes of the disciplic succession, through the eyes of Shastra. So that Prakat Lila is available even when, but generally when we talk Prakat, we're talking Krishna is there enacting his Lila. Otherwise it's called Bomi Vrindavan or Bomi Dwarka, Mathura. It's there. And unless you're really, your consciousness is attuned with transcendence perfectly, you're not going to see the Leela because it's not manifest in, in to human eyes, so to speak. So, and then we have the apricot, which is on the in the transcendental realm. And then we also know that uh, Swami Triparari introduced the idea of also there's these these realms can exist in the meditative mind of the of the sadhika or actually uh, would be beyond the stage of sadhana bhakti it would be at the stage of bhava but they actually can even if even if krishna is not here now so he's not manifesting the leela and you're not sitting on the bank of of radhakund or uh, Krishna Kun, what is it? Shamakun. Uh, still, you can you can meditate in your mind. So, and there's there's no distinction there. Um, but for the most part, these are the three designations of the uh, abodes of Krishna. Then in the then Jiva's going to go on. He's going to explain Krishna's associates. They re reside eternally in these three abodes. Um, the Yadavas are as associates in Mathura and Dwarka. And the cowherd people are as associates in Gakula. They're intrinsically endowed with uh, qualities just like those of Krishna. And um, 
any human-like characteristics which we may observe in the course of the Leela, either if we're there, we can see something like, oh, I just see that, uh, you know, the gopi cut her hand and it's bleeding. It's all, it's not happening. It's not, it's not material for those residents, those eternal associates of the Lord. So they, those human-like characteristics are there just to add to the Leela and also to, well, they have to assure the atheists. You know, the atheists also have their day, so they can say, oh, Krishna, I, what do you mean? Krishna's God, really? How can you accept Krishna's God? He was shot with an arrow and died. You know, so you know these these things are there, or or the Yadavas when they leave. So to understand the intricacies of that, that uh, is also going to be covered by Jiva Goswami, the Masula Lila, uh, on the pre pretext of uh, you know drinking a little rice wine, a little fight goes on, but it's just to to segregate the the demigods from the eternal associates because they actually merged together and shared bodies to engage in the Leela and that's that in and of itself is a wonderful thing. I mean, how do two people in one body, but they're sharing the same mood of service, so uh, it's quite amazing, but Krishna he brings his eternal associates and he allows others to participate in the Leela and specifically the demigods. It's like, you know, a vacation and uh, a vacation time to leave your leave your post in the in the Swarga and uh, and come down and enjoy Krishna's, um, you know, his, his association. So. Those things will be discussed in some detail. Uh, then he's going to go on and he's going to explain the Leela in some detail, manifest, unfast, manifest, prakat, aprakat. Uh, one thing about the prakat Leela that is not there in the aprakat Leela that's going to come out is the fact that the prakat Leela seems to go, it, it takes on the characteristics of time within the material realm. So we see a beginning, a middle, and an ending of the Leela. We see Krishna apparently growing up. Apparently. Remember when he first appeared, he was already grown up. <laughs> so it's just an appearance. But it's a, an appearance of, of Leela. Um, so that, that will be covered. Uh, only in the Prakat Leela do we see those first pastimes of the Lord. Uh, so how they manifest in the Prakat Leela is, is, will be discussed. Uh, but we see that... Um, Krishna's of one age in the apricot manifestation.
when Krishna is Prakat in Vrindavan, he's Aprakat in Mathura and Dwarka. He's always present in these three abodes. When he's Prakat in Mathura or Prakat in Dwarka, he's Aprakat in Vrindavan, which he never leaves. The details of that are going to be discussed in this Krishna Sandarva. He's also going to uh, give us an introduction to methods of meditate, two methods of meditation. And I was discussing this uh, with Guru Maharaj uh, was it yesterday. I guess it was yesterday. Anyway, we were doing some business, and then I was talking about this introduction, and I, I mentioned this. I said, "This is interesting. This." this uh, kind of meditation that Jiva Goswami is bringing forth, uh, uh, mantrapasana, mai, that's where you have like a frame and you meditate on that frame, like, you know, Krishna's form and what he's wearing and his earrings and uses associates and, you know, they're just like, it's just like a frame of the, of the movie of Krishna Leela without any conception of something coming before or something coming after. So it's a very specific. So, uh, mantropasana uh, mai is that kind of meditation. And of course, there's the meditation of the Leela itself. So we can meditate upon the Leela as it progresses. Uh, swarasaki is that nomenclature. Swarasaki meditation. And Guru Maharaj pointed out to me that these meditations were uniquely introduced by Srila Jiva Goswami. They're not so much, they weren't presented by the, the other Goswamis in their writings, that this, this kind of thinking was in itself introduced by Jiva Goswami. And a lot of these ideas uh, are unique to Jiva Goswami as he's presented them in the Krishna Sandarbha. Uh, so it's a lot of this, you know, prakat, naprakat, and specifically in relationship to Krishna's uh, uh, swakya and parakya, his uh, relationship with the young gopi girls of, of Vrindavan, uh, a big topic, and, and how Jiva Goswami deals with that. And I'm going to touch on that this evening uh, from the introduction, but... Uh, um, well, actually, we're there. Swakiya and Parakiya relationships with the gopis. So, uh, so these two kinds of meditation are going to be going over how they're how they're utilized uh, preliminarily, as presented in the Krishna Sandarbha, and then uh, I'm not sure because I haven't read up to the Bhakti Sandarbha, but uh, considering Bhakti's how we practice, they may be uh, delved in further there. Time will tell us. Uh, so this Swakiya and Parakiya is, is a great controversy within, uh, well, up from the time of Maharaj Parikshit. Even Maharaj Parikshit said, wait a minute, whoa, what are you talking about? Maharaj, you know, Sukadeva Goswami has said, well, you know, Krishna went out and they had the Rasalila and, and Maharaj Rasalila with, uh, with married women. 
Krishna's out in the middle of the night with married women dancing. Uh, how does that work? So, um, the explanation, first of all, is, is important for us to understand that the narration in the Bhagavat Purana is of the Prakat Lila. All right? It's that Prakat manifestation once in a lifetime of Brahma. So when we read of the Lila in the Bhagavat Purana, as presented in the 10th canto of Krishna's, Krishna's you know, acts, it's, it's, not, it's not in the Aprakat Lila. It's all Prakat. So how to deal with this subject? And it's, it's a thorny subject for the Gaudias, this Swakya and Parakya. And there's a few interesting things I wanted to share with you uh, regarding that. Now, of course, the Bhagavat Purana and Sukadeva Goswami deal with it in a very ontological way. Well, Krishna is the imminent self and all being, so he's married to everyone. I mean, you really, it doesn't get any, you don't get any closer with any other entity than Krishna. So he's the closest with everybody because he's, 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 he's your imminent self as Paramatma. And then once you start developing a relationship with him, it, your relationship is not going to be closer with anyone else except in some very unique circumstances of the Leela and the Aprakat manifestation and, you know, different types of friendship. And sometimes you can, some some people would say that they, their relationship is more with Radha than with Krishna. And so, but still, this is all very esoteric. So for the most part, Sukadeva Goswami deals with this you know, uh, parakya, uh, swakya subject by by pointing out that uh, Krishna's the closest with everyone, so he's he's the he's the husband of every living entity. Uh, from an ontological perspective. They are his own intrinsic potencies and thus eternally belong to him alone and to no other. I mean, you can't, you know, you can't separate that. So, but other Vaishnavas have dealt with it in different ways. What comes out here in the 177th Anucheda of this Krishna Sandarbha, Jiva Goswami endeavors to prove that although Krishna was seen Seemingly, the Paramar of the gopis in the Prakat Leela, they attained him as their husband in the Aprakat Leela. So that's an argument that Jiva Goswami presents. Okay, understand that in the manifest Leela, Krishna was unmarried and with the gopis. But it's a, it's a unique feature because ultimately, in the apricot realm, transcendentally, they are wed. It's a way to deal with the situation. Some would argue that he himself did not personally embrace the argument fully. Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur actually uh, 
arrives at that conclusion uh, in his own commentaries. I believe in the beginning of his commentary. So they think he's, that was a preaching strategy? Vishwanath does. Yes, yes. Other Gaudias may also have a different viewpoint. Um, so Krish, uh, Jiva Goswami concludes his book with a discussion of Krishna's various potencies and the two divisions of his potencies, those potencies being the the his wives in Dwarka and his uh, uh, his lovers, the gopis in Raj. Both are direct embodiments of Krishna's intrinsic potency, Swarup Shakti. And of those potencies, the most the topmost in the hierarchy is Srimati Radharani. Um, So Shakti and Shakti Man. So he discusses that. And then in this introduction, a couple other things are dealt with. Uh, uh, by Sachin Narayan Das. So it, it says uh, Jiva Goswami ends his book with an entirely unique interpretation <coughs> of the opening verse of the Bhagavat Purana. Now we had a pretty unique interpretation of that book at the ending of the Paramatma Sandarbha. So at the end of the Krishna Sandarbha, he's going to give us another unique, different. a different one. And in this one, he's going to show that really the opening verse of the Bhagavat Purana is speaking and highlighting Radha and Krishna. So... Uh, it also mentions here that it's important that we understand that uh, the Krishna Sandarbha is not a, a biographical account of the Leelas of Krishna. It's, it's a tattva book. It's a book of tattva, of the nature of the Lord and his various shaktis, abodes, associates, energies, and everything else in relationship to Krishna. Now, if you want to have uh, a book which is a biographical account. Jeevan didn't leave us hanging there. He gives us the Gopal Champu in two parts, <coughs> and that delves deeply into Krishna's manifest pastimes, his Prakat Leela, as presented to those that are in the Aprakat Leela. It's an interesting book. I don't know if any of you have had the opportunity to read it, but... It's interesting. Basically, it's uh, it's an accounting. It's a presentation to the those that are located in 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 Galoka, in in Vaikuntha, in the Aprakat Leela. It's a presentation of what the Prakat Leela is like. And so so these two bards, these young boys, they come to entertain the Rajbasis. And they entertain them in the in the hall of Nanda Maharaj, and they give this discourse where they say, "Well, Krishna was a little boy, a little baby, and through all the demons and through all the playing with the gopis and stealing the god." I mean, he, you know, so the whole leela of the Prakat leela is manifest is is spoken of by these bards, who to the to the residents of the Aprakat leela. And uniquely enough, 
when they come to the leela of the twin Arjun trees and being pulled down, their true position is revealed, the bards. They were Nalakavar and Mani Griva. <laughs> so now they're there in, anyway, it's a be- beautiful book. But So to understand the difference. So Jiva, you know, gives us both of these presentations, both the Sandarbhas and then also the Gopal Champu. Uh, a little bit more on the Prakat, I'm sorry, Paraki and Swakya. Uh, there's a certain, certain Vaishnavs get around this problem in different ways. One way is to just worship uh, the Gopal manifestation of the Supreme. So we'll just worship the, the Kumar age of Krishna and we would just don't we don't want, we won't go past that. So that's one solution. Some take. Uh, others just discount the veracity of the of the of the leela altogether, um, and they and they they do this by saying it's just an allegory that's presented in the Bhagavatam, and the allegory is between the nature of the self and how the self is, is dealing with the various chitta vrittis that the sadhikas have or the associates have. And somehow or other, they just explain it away as all, just like some people explain away the the literal presentation of the Bhagavad Gita, that there's not really a battlefield there. It's all, it's all, just, it's all just to give us an idea and a discourse with the Supreme, but it really didn't happen. So they, in a similar way, they use... You know, Krishna's Rasa Leela and Krishna's dealing with the unmarried gopi. They do not accept it literally. They simply accept it allegorically. That's another solution. Um, another solution, this one's unique, is they say that when Brahma had that one year when he stole the calves and the cowherd boys, that during that year, all of the all of those men that were going to be the wives were were in were were absent. The men who the men that were going to be the wives of the gopis, the husbands. Yeah, they were stolen away. So really, Krishna did marry the gopis during that year. So he was married to them. Okay. Okay. All right, but it doesn't work. That argument doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Well, because... It is a custom in Hindu society that you do not get get married until after your samskaras and under your into after your uh, upa what is it upanaya. So when did that happen? Krishna wasn't schooled until he went to Dwarka. So he couldn't have married. So that whole argument is defeated there because. Krishna didn't get his sacred thread, which is a prerequisite 
until you have your sacred thread, you're not going to take a wife. It's like the custom. So Krishna didn't get his sacred thread until he'd already moved to Dwarka. So he couldn't have married the gopis during that one year, you know, Brahma Vimohan Leela. We'll see how he develops. Huh? So the cowherd boys that married the gopis, they all had sacred threads? It, the argument doesn't stand up. Okay. The argument doesn't stand up. Yeah, it's it's just some way to get around this, you know, this problem we have with our God, you know, being a little promiscuous. What can you do, you know? What is that uh, other reading of uh, the verse? He's a debauchee, you know? So what are you going to do about that? He's God and he's a debauchee. It's a problem. So, so, Jiva Goswami, as I said, he toes the middle ground and he says the Prakat Leela as presented is uh, in the Bhagavatam is a literal reality and it does represent the Prakat Leela of the Supreme. And the fact is that uh, Krishna was engaged in these act actions with unmarried women, <laughs> unmarried gopis, uh, or married, married or unmarried. And and then if you go to the apricot lily, you'll see he's buried to all of them. Well, we would say that takes away from the flavor of the apricot lila, but then there are other others in our line who say that really the most relishable of the lilas is, is the is the prakat. But really ontologically there there's no difference between the apricot and the prakat. Again, subtle points. And in the Gopal Champu, Jiva Goswami has Krishna come back to Braj and marry them. Mm -hmm. Yes, and also when we read about of Krishna's birth at the beginning of the tenth canto, we find out that Krishna was actually born in both places to both mothers at the same exact time. So that Prakash, Krishna being two places at once, is not a big deal for, for us to accept, but it's not presented in the Bhagavatam in that way. It's presented and, and, and it's drawn out from the other writings of the, uh, the other Kavi writings of the, the Goswamis and, uh, and others. Another point that uh, we need to see in proper perspective in regards to this uh, Swaki and Parakya thing is if Krishna had married the gopis, then what's the significance of the prayers of the, of the queens of Dwarka? If they were married, there would be no significant difference between them and the queens of Dwarka. And thus the queen's praise of the gopis in Srimad Bhagavatam 1083-43 would be absurd. Because what's the, what's the uniqueness? I want to read one paragraph here before we end things. 
Sorry, I'm going over a little tonight. My getting carried away. Um, Shijiva Goswami devises an ingenious solution. He argues that the gopis eternally belong to Krishna as his own intrinsic potencies. Hence, their parb or relationship with him in the Prakatlila is mere appearance. At the conclusion of the Prakatlila, this relationship is withdrawn and their eternal swakiya relation with Krishna in the Aprakatlila is then self-disclosed. Thus, this reflects Sukadev's point that Krishna and his eternal energies are ontologically wed. By adopting this line of argument, the author satisfies his conservative contemporaries without tampering on the message of the Bhagavat Purana. Keeps everything intact. In uh, since the Bhagavat Purana is concerned only with the Prakat Lila, only with the manifest pastimes, it does not address the question as to whether or not the gopis are married to Krishna in the Aprakat Lila. Vishwanath explains Jiva's using of, of this presentation here as a way, as a preaching strategy, basically. Mm. He says... Oh, I don't know if, if anyone's always ever happy because there'll always be somebody arguing. That's the nature of these, you know. But uh, so I think as, you know, does Vishwanath agree? Does Vish, what's Vishwanath? Well, Vishwanath's point is is for Krishna's for Krishna's you know Krishna's topmost leela in Raj. There has to be this parakia, this unwedded rasa. It has to exist for Krishna to fully re relish those loving exchanges. So they're not married in the aprakat and they're not married in the prakat either. Is there anywhere else that Jiva uses, Jiva Goswami uses um, um, the way he um, explains things in a way that's just for preaching purposes? Or is this the only incident? What's unique about Jiva's presentation, as we'll read in the in the Krishna Sandarbha, he sticks with it. He sticks with it, and he never says anything to contradict it. So his 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 presentation is always the Prakat Lila. There is Parakya Ras, and it culminates in the Aprakat Lila where there's marriage. So we cannot fault Krishna because he ultimately marries the gopis. And there he, that is his way of solving the moral dilemma and satisfying as much as he can and keeping to the ontological integrity of the Bhagavat Purana <coughs> and in its presentation of the Leela of Krishna as it's performed in the Prakat Leela is performed. So he keeps he keeps everything in balance with that. He himself in his writings only has one line where he mentions in a obtruse manner, you know, that that something that could be interpreted as I'm speaking this for the benefit of others and their understanding. 
Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur coming after him jumps on that line <laughs> and says, really, this is the proof that Jiva was using this as a preaching strategy. Wow. And that, for the most part, will cover uh, our discussion of the introductory uh, 50 pages of write-up that was presented to get us in the mood of studying uh, this Krishna Sandarbha. And we'll be getting it in our and the first Anucheta in detail in the next discussion. Any questions? I yes. A question. um, when he, he speaks about how the they're like the same, the uppercut and the cut are uh, the same uh, in all these ways. Um, I guess my main question is, um, is that um, on this world there's there's matter like there's earth water fire all these things mm -hmm. and we see with our eyes everything as it is right so in that uh translation into this transcendental realm or the spiritual realm um i i guess i always imagine that there wasn't form in this way that we see form like is it very no different? it's prakat so means it's the way we see it prakat falls in to normal, it's it's human-like yeah. actions <clears throat> by the most unhuman of entities, Krishna, and he does. The nature of his lila is not characteristic of general human activity, although, of course, that's not picked up by everyone. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> like the cowherd <laughs> boy said. Well, Krishna slayed demons and they, when they come back to the village and the parents are saying, yeah, sure he did. <laughs> <laughs> but like the, the idea that, um, that everything that's in that Lila is also in the uppercut in the sense there's cows and there's trees and there's all these things, but, but we, when we think of those things, it's very material and matter coming from earth. Coming, so, but in that mm -hmm. transcendental realm, what's that consisting of? considering that it's not consisting of the same things. That they can't tell the difference. They can't tell That's the what Sanatana Goswami presents to us in the okay. Bhagavatamrita. They don't know if they're in the material world or the spiritual world, and they don't care. When you're that mad madly in love with Krishna and all his associates and his dom and, and, and absorbed in that, you don't really care where you are. You could be in the hollow of a tree, as Guru Maharaj says. It's, you'll be fine. So, uh, they don't really distinguish. They can't tell sometimes. They don't know. And uh, different types of arguments that you were speaking about, um, that Vraga. I was wondering uh, if, if, it's, if it's at all, how um, beneficial is it to have any... Um, conversation uh, or argument or discussion if it's not uh, it may be beneficial to a casual observer I, I myself uh, I'm on Facebook sometimes Guru Maharaj is up there others in the Sangha and there's arguments and you can clearly see that the opposition is not interested in hearing another point of view at all. They're like totally locked into one perspective 
and they're not going to budge an inch. So your question is, well, is there any benefit to that? To them, maybe not. Uh, maybe it will at least let them see other people do have a different point of view, and maybe they'd say, I mean, when I write, I always write, you might want to look at this in a different way. I never, I used to be, you know, gloves on, but <laughs> I've, I've grown old and, and weary of that kind of dialogue. And I, I, I take a different approach uh, following the good example of some of association that I've, I've been blessed with. But you, primarily as far as those that are fixed, you probably can't. A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. It's <laughs> kind of a, a phrase you, you see, and you can see that play out. But there are, there are others observing. And if they're open-minded and they look at the conversation, see both sides, they'll say, "Wait, over here, this is just, this is just, uh, this is a, this is a very uh, sectarian point of view. It's not very." And over here, I can see quoting from this, from this Shastra and this Goswami and that Goswami, and it's a, it's a more open approach, and it's an approach that I want to take to my spiritual nourishment. I think I'll go over here more and try to hear from that camp because it's something that enthuses my spiritual life. This is so rigid and, and fixed and sectarian and, you know, uh, fanatical that I can't see how that's going to serve the consciousness that will serve my spiritual growth. So it can be beneficial, but primarily beneficial to, as I say, from my personal experience, uh, thoughtful observers on the sidelines. Anything else? I thank you very much for your association. Okay.